school? Where do I find Jesus running the Tough Mudder? Where do I find Jesus doing any of these things that we consider recreation? And that's a great question, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, most of us, uh, if not all of us, participate in some form of recreation. But when it comes to affirming it, that sort of biblical reality, uh, we get kind of quiet. Uh, We don't like to talk about it that way. We, Yeah, sure, it's nice to have something we can do. uh, And we might even see it as being like relaxing or something like that. But hopefully today, we're going to find that it's it's even more than that. But one of the challenges is that I find that that when we talk about this, there's sort of a divide. There's kind of two groups. And one group is, um, and and I want you to hear when I say this, I don't think either of these groups is necessarily right or wrong. I identify with one more than the other, and it might come across that way, but please hear that I don't, I don't hear any, anything wrong with either group. So one group is more of a, of a driven group, goal-oriented, loves to work, um, often sees that, that, that even when they finish one project, there's more to do. So there's not really a stopping point. Uh, the other group wants to, to rest and play all the time. And so there's these two groups, and I have a video clip that I think shows a little bit of how these group these groups operate. It's from a movie called uh, The Return of the King uh, from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And this is at the beginning of the film. And just to set the clip up, there are two hobbits uh, in this clip uh, named Merry and Pippin. And Merry and Pippin have just uh, been part of a decisive battle that, that, that their side won. And after winning it, they were walking around the ruins and they found this storeroom full of food and long bottom leaf pipeweed. Uh, which is a huge deal for them. Now, at the same time, uh, their friends and allies, Gandalf, uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and and my personal favorite, Gimli, um, are... Why do you laugh? I don't know why you laugh. Um, So... They are uh, making their way towards Isengard where uh, Merry and Pippin are. They, they have not had a very good go of things. Things have been rough for them. And they don't, they're not even really sure if Merry and Pippin at this point are alive. And so um, we come upon uh, the scene in the movie at this point. And so let's see if we can get that clip running.
wonderful. I love this uh, clip. Um, and we, there we go. Um, there's a couple things I love about it. First of all, I love how Gandalf at the end says hobbits. Like, like he's got some sort of feeling towards hobbits. The same feeling on uh, Halloween. I had a friend of mine loan me this banana costume, which I was super excited to wear. And so I set it out on our dining room table and came home, and our cat had vomited on it. (laughs) And my response was, cats, right? (laughs) Just like that. And how Gimli, the, the dwarf, he responds to them like, you're sitting here feasting and smoking and it's the same way when people drive really quickly past my house and I'm like hey you kids this is an i5 right you got to slow down when you're going in front of my house but you get the sense of like the the hobbits are like partying and there's this sense of recreation and livelihood and they're like hey come and join the party welcome my lords and everyone else is like what are you doing Right? How can you do this? And you get the sense that there's this tension between one celebration and one. There's been work that needs to be done, and there's stuff that needs to happen. And I think I want us all to be, to be aware of that, that tension, and that for both parties, it's not easy to enter into the other person's sort of worldview. Right? If you're a person who's more like the, the driven type of person, it's, it's, it's not easy to just sort of let everything go and join the party. And for the people who are always at the party, it's not easy to sort of drop that and go, okay, let's get to work. And so I want us to be aware that that, that sort of tension exists, um, and, that, and that's the reality we live in. And so as I'm going through this today, um, I hope this speaks more of a, 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 a not trying to get one side to jump uh, to another side, but more of a, a little bit of a course correction to bring a more healthy uh, balance. Um, because... Uh, I think that uh, our culture, even though I don't think it participates in recreation very well, likes to view recreation as very important. So we have books, magazine articles, websites. When I was in college, I was trying to decide between pre-physical therapy and recreation and leisure as majors. And so there's there's a major dedicated to recreation and leisure studies. And so we think it's important, uh, but I don't think we value it in reality. I think we certainly don't value it as much as we value work. Uh, And I remember listening to a panel discussion when I was working at the University of Washington where they were discussing how do we as human beings interact and navigate within the the, the sort of the construct of time. And that uh, what uh, this one guy was saying is that when he was a child, he remembers seeing advertisements where uh, you had flying cars and you had uh, robots that were mowing your lawn and you had people sitting around and drinking martinis and lounging all day and that there was sort of this promise that with uh, new technology life was going to be just life of recreation and leisure and most of our time was going to be spent hanging out with our friends and having fun now when I was looking up because uh, I was trying to find some pictures of some of these advertisements of you know these old school looking robots mowing the lawn they actually have robots that mow your lawn they're like those little indoor vacuum cleaners that just hum around and, and so I was like so we've actually come up with some of these things and they do save us a lot of time but what this person on this panel uh, noticed and what I agree with is that we typically when we get more time we just fill it with more work that we don't necessarily know how to move into a time of recreation or leisure uh, very well. Um, and so hopefully today we're going to be able to explore that a little more because there are even other cultures that have looked at it differently, the, the way work and play sort of get, 
get lived out. So some cultures will say, well, I'm only going to work when I need to. So if I need food, I'm going to go hunt an animal and, and eat that animal. Or when I need to build a house, I'm going to build that house. But when the work is done, and they actually have a spot where they can identify that the work is done, then they stop. When their body is tired, they go to sleep. And, and they wake up when their body is rested. Right? For us, that's a completely foreign concept. It's a radical paradigm shift from I'm going to try to stay up past when my body's tired and I'm going to get up before my body is rested. And so we have this idea of working lots of times where even if we have established work hours, our work often comes home with us or goes to other places outside of those work hours. And so we often live in this cycle of, well, the work is never ending. One project leads to another. We just had this huge uh, hedge on the side of our house cut way back, which is fantastic. But what it does is it opens up my yard so that all my neighbors across the street can see it. And so what that means now is that they can see into my backyard and my backyard needs to change because they can see that we've had Rottweilers as landscapers and they're horrible landscapers. They have completely different goals in terms of landscaping than I do. And so we need to fix that. We need to clean that up. And then when we need to clean that up, we realize, oh, the cherry tree drops a lot of cherries on our yard and we don't ever use those cherries and the tree is kind of dying and we got some issues issues with it so we should cut that tree down well then we've got this big open space and what do we do with that and one project leads to another and the work could go on and on without ever ceasing well so we're faced with this reality this difficult situation that that i think we would acknowledge in some sense yeah recreation is important but again i don't think we believe it i think we live more in this cycle of working where it's never done um and that the question is, is that, is it biblical? Is it spiritual? Can, can we not only feel good about our recreational lives, but do they help us in our walk with God? And I think how we define recreation impacts that. And so most of us, I think, would say, yeah, recreation, I kind of understand. It's like I have these activities that I do, maybe on the weekend, something like that. And they might even be relaxing, and they're fun, and I enjoy them. And that's more how we define that. We might even attach it to some kind of, uh, it, it helps me get through the week. But when we look back at the actual roots and the origin of the word, um, it comes from this word that means uh, it's how our bodies respond when we eat food. That there's a, a healing and a nourishing that happens when we eat food. There's new life that's given. And that the idea behind recreation from its beginning has been that there are things we do, things we love, and we get into this kind of zone where um, it nourishes us. It feeds our person. It, it helps us to gain new life and new direction. And so I think when we start to look at it like that, it starts to feel a little bit different. Dave Connolly, this professor at Baylor University, he says, freedom from external compulsive, uh, he defines recreation as freedom from external compulsive forces of life, such as work, in order to pursue personally pleasing activities that are not only worthwhile, but provide a basis for strengthening faith. And he adds to this, this kind of second part of this quote, that external freedom is a very important concept of recreation. In a lot of recreational activities, only the person doing them understands the rewards involved in that activity, such as running a marathon. Now, is there anyone here who's run a marathon? Half marathon, okay? Any just runners in general? Okay, so you all are wonderful, and you live in a completely different world than I do right that, that only you can explain at some point so so it doesn't have to be something that's universally joyful 
right? It doesn't have to be something that everyone goes, oh, we all love running, right? You can say, you know what? No, I love running. I'm renewed by it. I gain some sort of life from it. It does something to me because when you talk to just about anyone who finishes a marathon or who runs really hard like that, when you talk to them at the end, even if they're exhausted, they say something like, I feel like I could do anything. I feel great. Like this is there's this wonderful sense of confidence and it's a sense of direction. And we have lots of things like this. Do you have anything where when you work on it, um, even like say you're a mechanic and you love to work on cars and you're working on your car and there's some really difficult situation, but you feel like you can do it. You feel like you kind of love that challenge and you're like, yeah, I can get in there and I can take care of that or I can at least figure out what needs to be done and sort of work with that. And, and that's this idea that you get in this flow where things like time seem to kind of go away where you're working and you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's been 10 hours, right? Or you have this sense when you're in the middle of it where you stop and you go, when do I need to be done? And then you go, actually, I could do this all day. I don't have to stop, right? There's a sense of freedom in the time we have. And so there's this, there's this aspect of freedom in our recreation, an activity, time, place, and general space where we're free from these external compulsions. Now before we, we dig any further uh, into this, I, I have a disclaimer to give about this because uh, we're going to dive into some scripture and see what some different spots in scripture have to say about this, this reality of recreation. But I want to challenge us because I think even though we have lots of scientific evidence, lots of cultural evidence, all this stuff, I feel like the reality is, is we don't believe it. And I don't want to uh, get into all this stuff and have us walk away, at least not pondering the possibility that this could be true. And so I'm going to compare it to a sleep study that was done because I think we have about the same level of belief in that as we do often in recreation. Um, And so this sleep study was done by a guy named John Medina who's a brain researcher at uh, Seattle Pacific University, known all over the world, fantastically brilliant guy. Um, And in their study, uh, they they had a bunch of soldiers that uh, they had stay up overnight, so 24 hours without sleep. Their cognitive processes and their cognitive uh, capacity dropped by 30%. So they're down to 70% after losing one night's sleep. After losing two nights sleep, they're down to 40%. So two nights without sleep, 48 hours, you are operating at 40% your cognitive abilities and capacity. They did this, a similar study with, these weren't soldiers, but with just regular people who stayed up for five They had five nights with five or less hours of sleep. Same thing as someone who had been up for two nights without sleep. So a lot of us should be feeling right now like, uh uh-oh. Right? A lot of us, whether we're college students, whether we're new parents, whether we're parents with older kids, whether we're just busy and we're trying to steal away some time at night to watch a TV show we really like or something, if you're getting five hours or less consistently— you're probably operating not just at a little bit less of your sort of full cognitive capacity, but significantly less. And the, the challenge I have with this is even after hearing this, I myself was like, oh, hmm. Well, let's see if Waterworld's on again at two in the morning, right? It didn't matter. It didn't matter, right? And so what then, how do we, how do we bring these changes into us when we even discover, and what we, I think we discover is that we don't believe it, or we're willing to settle for less. We're willing to compromise and say, yeah, I actually get through my life okay at 40 or 50 percent of my cognitive capacities. 
And so I want to challenge you as you listen to this stuff about recreation. Is it possible that the recreation can restore some things in your life? That it's a gift from God. It's a blessing from him that could actually help you to live a fuller uh, life. Uh, in the Bible, we first encounter uh, this reality of recreation in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. In the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, because Adam and Eve were created to live in a state of recreation, a constant state of play with God and with each other and with creation. That when they were hungry, they could say, I'm hungry. Let's grab something to eat. And when they were full, they could just stop. They didn't have to be like, oh, I got to stop because I got to get to that next thing right they could go to sleep when they were tired get up when they were refreshed and they could just go at the pace there was complete freedom to decide and do the things they wanted and when I think about this I actually think of what life here together in the church is supposed to be like Um, I remember a a, a New Testament scholar up at Regent Rick Watts talking about how uh, a person could you could go to your job and 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 in the rest of your life and have people not respect you uh, not look up to you not really trust you but you come into the into gathering of God's people and God could speak to you and you could be the very mouthpiece of God Right, the, the, the same constructs that, that hold and, and keep people down and elevate certain people God doesn't operate by. And so there's a freedom in this culture, in the culture of the kingdom of God, where we get to operate differently. I remember uh, leading worship one time at, um, at a prison in, in Idaho. And, uh, and we were uh, going to sing, uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. Right, this song, it's a really simple song. Lots of people knew it at the time, and then we banished it because it got sung too much, and it only had three chords, and blah, blah, blah. But, um, so, uh, but what I found was, is that I started singing this song, thinking everyone's going to know this song, or if they don't, it's easy enough to follow along. None of the inmates cared a bit. They just sang as loud as they could in any way they wanted to. Why? Because they all wore the same clothing, the same color clothes. There might be a different uh, shade of clothing depending on which wing you were in, but none of them had a name. They were all inmate number such and such. And so when they came in to sing, they could sing however they wanted, and it was freedom. They got to choose. No one was going to come after them or come down on them because they were singing or dancing or being loud, right? If you're at lunchtime in prison, if you're singing or dancing or being loud, you're removed. But this was freedom, and shouldn't it be the same for us when we gather together? There's a sense of recreation in what we do. Another place we see this in Scripture is, uh, is when Scripture's talking about the Sabbath day. And um, in Deuteronomy 5, it says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day uh, is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. 
And so what we see here is that the Sabbath day, although it certainly does have an aspect of physical rest to it, it was also symbolic to the people of, of Israel that, that you were once a slave. You were once in a place where you didn't get to rest, not for a moment. In fact, you were worked until you died and then kicked off to the side of the road so the next person could come in line and take up where you left off. And God says, you need to remember that that's not who you are. Right? You need to remember that you're free and that I brought you out of that so you could be free. And so you have this day where you exercise this freedom. I think I've mentioned this before, but, but for me, my Sabbath time is just a spot on my calendar where there's nothing. And when I enter that time, I stop and I go, what do I want to do right now? And... and Barring things like going surfing in Maui or something that, you know, isn't impossible to do because I could just go surfing at Westport. It's a little colder, but that's fine. Um, but, but I have the time set out, and if it fits within that time, then I go do it. All right, next Friday, I'm going to go to this Bruce Lee exhibit at this museum on the east side because that's my Sabbath time, and I get to do what I want to do, right? And, and that, there's that freedom that I get to exercise that. I get to... Th- decide what do I want to do because I have to realize that as important as I think I am the world can go on really well at times without me and there's a sense of importance that I sort of let go of when I go oh I get to do what I want to do and then I come back and I realize wow the church is still standing right lots of things have been my kids went to school and they're fine right that I don't have to be on call all the time if we look in the Psalms and, and other places in the Old Testament, we see that music and dancing and art, God invites people to participate in that. And sometimes it's for a, ta- a specific task he wants done. I want the temple to look like this, so make it this way. But other ways, we see people just freely dancing. And God ordains that. There's this sense of play and recreation in those activities. We see spots of hospitality where God's people open up their homes and share meals with strangers and with each other and it's not necessarily planned. It's like someone shows up and they're like, cool, let's drop everything and make a meal and just hang out for like the whole day. I remember growing up and being on the, the, the sort of cusp of what I considered at that time to be adulthood and thinking uh, sort of uh, mournfully that, that as I was entering into adulthood I was going to have to let all my hobbies go because my parents I looked at their lives and I was like you guys don't have any hobbies so grown ups don't get to have hobbies right that's, that's just the way it worked but then I thought about it more and I talked to them a little bit about it and what I realized is they had hobbies that just looked different their hobbies were like family and friends right they have property down at Ocean Shores and for like the last 30 years their property has been adjacent to their best friend's property and then just down the road a little ways, there are two more lots that have some more of their friends. And so when we would go down to the ocean as kids, maybe once or twice a month, um, we, we were always with friends. Always. So spending the weekend with all these friends. And then when we were at home, on Friday and Saturday night, one of those two, if not both, there were friends coming over to the house and family. And we're eating and playing cards. And there was always people around. And so my, for my parents, that was that restorative, renewing thing. They love to be with their friends and their family. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that parties and festivals are happening all the time. Um, 
And specifically, uh, we see Jesus going to these parties, both big weddings and dinner parties and then small gatherings of friends and things like that. He's at all these places. And what I want to think about here is that I often think about, like at the wedding at Cana, where Jesus shows up and he turns the, the water into wine, that the, the way I picture this for some reason is that I, I feel like there's this wedding going on, a huge celebration, and all these people partying, and Jesus is standing somewhere over near some water just kind of waiting. Okay, is it miracle time? Not yet. Okay. Really like to hang out with these people, but I got work to do. Right? I got a miracle to do here in a minute. Okay, but, but what I find instead, and we look around and we find interactions where Jesus is hanging out with Mary and Martha and engaged in conversation and relationship with his friends, that I tend to believe that Jesus is probably at these places actually interacting with people, being part of the party also. Two of my favorite moments of recreation in the Bible. Uh, happen with Jesus. The first one is in um, Matthew 8, and it reads like this. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose in the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a dead calm they were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So we have Jesus napping. So if you ever want sort of biblical evidence that naps are okay, just turn to this verse, and Jesus will say it's okay to take a nap. I did. But we have Jesus taking a nap when chaos is happening, when work needs to be done. Something needs to be done. The people go and wake him up. How many of you parents have ever been taking a nap and have your kids come and say, we need something? Something's happening. The cat's running around crazy. The dog's barking. I spilled something. Somebody help. In one version, it even has the disciples saying, don't you care that we're drowning? Right? And Jesus wakes up, looks at them and says, basically, why are you waking me up? Goes over, calms it. And it doesn't say this, so don't take this as scripture. This is just my idea. But the way it feels, it's it's like he says it calms down, and then he just goes right back to sleep, right? It just moves on. They were amazed. What sort of man is this? And I just picture him being like, all right, going back to sleep, right? Just laying back down, right? Because he was napping. He, that's recreation. And then the other one is at the end of uh, the book of John, where Jesus is right after the resurrection. Jesus has been showing up to his friends, and he shows up at this place where the the disciples are out fishing and he shows up on the beach and basically calls them to come back to the beach and in this moment where i i'm expecting he's like okay quick huddle up meeting guys i don't have a lot of time here so here's the here's the plan here's the strategy to to reach the world uh and and that it's time's tight so we got to get this done and instead he says come and have breakfast with me and he cooks his friends a bunch of fish right jesus making a meal for his friends just hanging out just to spend and enjoy the time with them. Jesus was all about recreation. So what do we do? Most of us, we try to do what's called time deepening, and we try to make everything take less time and fill it up, fill up our days. If you watch infomercials, uh, one of my guilty pleasures, they're constantly telling us the things we do and the way we do things is inefficient and and clown-like, right? That, that we can't hold a pasta dish without like throwing it against the wall or, you know, something like that. And so we need this tool to make it be more efficient and faster. 
And yet there's something about like a, a pasta sauce that cooks all day and the smell permeates the house. Last week, I gave us a whole list of things we could do to slow down. Taking a walk, making a meal for someone, and taking into consideration what they like, even if that's yourself. What do you like to eat? And cooking that, maybe gardening. Uh, there are all kinds of things. But what I want you to think about for just a moment is what is something that you love to do? What is something that you feel invigorated by? What is something that when you do it, you feel like in that, you're in that zone where it's like, I just can't do anything wrong. And even if I do, I can correct that. And, and I'm kind of in my groove. Again, going back to the, the mechanic analogy, some people, they can look at a car and dive in there and just feel like I'm all over it. I open the hood of a car and I'm done. That's it. I just close the hood and go talk to one of those people because they know what to do and I don't. And I don't find any life in that. I just had a conversation with my brother uh, who's very mechanical and, and he's, uh, he works for a, a company that restores historic buildings and specifically windows and we have some windows on our house and uh that he's going to look at and i said hey instead of you coming up why don't i just measure the windows and he was like do you know how to read a tape measure i was like oh, oh. i do but it's not too far off right it's not too far off so what are the things that that, that fill us with that sense of kind of invigorated life um because I believe with all my heart this, idea, this reality of recreation is something that changes us. It's something that fills us. It's something that, that helps us keep going. And I want to look back a couple weeks ago. Martha did a sermon on serving. And she talked about when we think about filling up and serving, we think of a pitcher often. That pitcher gets filled up and then it gets dumped out and emptied and every last drop shaken out of us. And God's like, get every single thing out of you that I can. And I'm going to wring that towel dry, shake it out, and then I'm going to go back and start over with you. Or the other picture was this fountain that's just constantly being filled and it's constantly overflowing and it's a whole different image, a whole different life. And I think recreation is one of the things that God blesses us with. It's a gift that he gives us that helps us in that process. Lastly, before we move on to our connection cards, when we exercise our freedom to choose and to play, we are being like God. I think God exists in this constant state of recreation, in this constant state of livelihood. I remember thinking about the creation story and constantly, for some reason, I always thought about it as like God sitting behind this big pile of papers, right? And he's doing a bunch of busy work, what I call busy work, and shuffling around and doing this and doing that. And I was talking to my daughter about it when she was, she's just over, she's maybe two and a half. Uh, and, and we were looking at the stars one night on a camping trip, and I was telling her about how God created the stars, and she was like, yeah, he shined them all up, and I'm like, yeah, that's a cute little kid understanding of this, and I was like, yeah, and he was making them, and, and then she stopped, and she said, and he had fun. And I was like, oh, oh, little great wise child. <laughs> he had fun. Yes, he did. He had the best fun, and it changed my whole understanding of creation that that God is like moving and dancing and singing and painting and free. And at the same time, he's calculating and he's in the details and he's working this angle and that angle and all of it. And whatever sort of way you think about things and whether it's driven or more recreational or whether it's more detail or more global big picture, God was doing all of that to the best degree with the most fun. And so when you do that thing, it could be doing math problems, it could be coding computers, it could be playing football, it could be working on a car, it could be climbing trees, it could be sitting and moving a tennis ball back and forth in your hands on the floor for an hour. 
when you do that thing, there was a time in college, all right, it's fine. (laughs) When you do that thing, though, you're being like God. So I have these questions. That one wasn't in my notes. I'm going to note that. Don't share that next time. Uh, So one, what is something you enjoy doing? Again, what is that thing that that you find life in when you do it? Um, Two, how often do you get to do this thing? Um, If it's something you love doing and you only do it once every three years, you might want to think about that. Uh, Three, what allows you to do this and what keeps you from doing it? What in your life uh, somehow sort of facilitates space to do that thing? And what in your life uh, keeps you from doing it? And last, do you sense any kind of connection with God when you do this? If so, please describe that connection. So, uh, example, um, in the last couple years, I've taken up uh, smoking a pipe. um, And uh, there is a study I read recently that says people who smoke pipes uh, two times a week, their lives are a few years longer than people who don't. Um, you can find a study to support anything. But what they're saying is that uh, the reality with this is that when it's, it's not so much the action of smoking a pipe, but it's the action of slowing down. That typically when a person smokes a pipe, they sit for a half hour, 45 minutes, and they just slow down. And it's it actually slow down to a point where it, it, over, it, it sort of overrides the, the negative things that are happening to them by smoking a pipe. Uh, so, but, but the connection I feel with God is that I'm sitting there and slowing down and I'm watching as the, the pipe smoke that has this aroma, you know, moves up into the air and I'm like, this is like the incense to, the, to God and prayer and I start to pray and there's just this connection. And so what is it for you and your thing that you feel a connection to God with? Um, okay, let's pray. And if you could fill out those answers on the connection cards and put them in the box to the side, that'd be great. Uh, as I pray the worship team, you can come forward. Uh, Dear living Father, I I give you great thanks for this gift of recreation that you give us. And I pray that we would take it seriously, God, that that we live in a culture that often seems like the the slave owners in in Israel and in Egypt that were, it seems like it just wants to work us until we're not useful anymore and then kind of push us off to the side and make room for somebody else. I pray we would, we would stand for and live for something different than that. And we would be able to show this sense of freedom that we have. And even in our work, that if there's somehow a playfulness in our work that can kind of transform that, um, I pray we would be able to find this sort of attitude and reality of recreation at all kinds of places in our lives. Um, but, I, but I do pray you would help us to, to, to believe uh, it, to believe that this is a gift that you have given us. Uh, And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.